Welcome to Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders by Bright Mind Consulting Group. We give you the necessary tools to help you become the architect of not just your business, but your life too. I'm your host, Javon Wooden. Hey, Jeremy, how are you, man? I am very well, Jevon. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure having you, man. I've been watching a lot of what you're doing on your podcast, Rethink Leadership. So I said, I got to have this guy on, man. So we're going to get into a little more of what you do outside of the podcast. But yeah, it's a pleasure. I think you're going to be a real treat for the Design Your Life and Business listeners. So we're going to hop in with the first question I ask every guest, and that is, who are you? Who is Jeremy Blaine? Well, I'm English, as you can probably tell. (laughs) So there's that. I'm from the north of England. I'm from Manchester. So I'm colored red if you follow soccer or football, as we like to call it over here. So I actually (laughs) grew up with a diet of music and football because Manchester is music centered as well. Indie scene, house music in the UK, came over from Chicago and missed Ireland and went straight to Manchester. So I kind of grew up with all of that. And that still stayed part of me. I don't live up in the north of England anymore. And so for me, as a person, I was it was always about sport. It was always about music and anything else except my academic work generally if you would ask my parents I'm sure that's what they would say and fell into a job very very luckily and luck has been a big part of my life I would say and certainly one of my best friends would tell you that as well he tends to get all the bad luck and I have somehow got a lot of the good luck (laughs) it doesn't make him that happy so for me as a person I'm always driven about what's next and asking the question, well, what if we could do something different? So it's no accident that I've ended up being a futurist, being focused on transformation for the future, be that the digital realm or the workforce realm or what have you, and helping organizations do that around the world. While actually staying Jeremy, I'm very much a believer in being a leader who is authentic, is I'm myself outside of business as much as I am in business. And that counts for a lot these days. I think that human touch, you know, so that human center is always there too. Absolutely, man. And you're hitting on a ton of points. I love that you said that human center is always there, but you didn't always start out this way. You said luck will have it, right? Your friend isn't (laughs) isn't happy because they get the opposite short and understand the scenes, but you started out with some odd jobs, man. So how did you go from like cleaning toilets and stuff So where you are now, international speaker and author. Well, yes, thank you for telling everybody that. (laughs) (laughs) And we do some digging over here, man. (laughs) And let me tell you, it was more than just cleaning toilets. It was frying oil as well. So I was selling frying oil and toilet cleaner in a region of the UK called Yorkshire. And it's hard enough trying to get Yorkshire people to part with money anyway. And then here's me trying to sell toilet cleaner and cooking oil, which, of course, was much harder. So it gave me a good grounding. But that job came from sheer luck. And my my degree is ancient history and classical archaeology, believe it or not. And I live, in fact, I've ended up living in a place in the UK called Sirencester, which is in a region called the Cotswolds, which is full of Roman history, Iron Age and Bronze Age history, because I loved it so much. And I still love that right now. But it wasn't going to get me a job. And I was never going to be Indiana Jones, you know, so... I remember in the third year, final year, my parents at me saying, well, what are you going to do for your career? And I had absolutely no idea until a friend of mine said, oh, I'm applying for this Procter & Gamble vacation course, I think it was called. 
And I thought, well, I better do that because there's nothing really coming my way that I'm interested in. Managed to get on it, not realizing what a big deal that was at the time. Yeah. And my friend didn't get on it, which was, he was the one that doesn't have the look. <laughs> now yeah, so I see why you say that now. Um, <laughs> and then I was offered a job from that. And so that was in sales and then went from there to PepsiCo and the equivalent in the UK of Frito-Lay which was called Walkers and was in sales, operations, a bit of marketing, a bit of everything, really. And then I ended up sort of being thinking this sort of what's next thing in my head and thinking, right, OK, it's coming up to the millennium. That's the change of the century. I think it'd be a great idea to go into partnership with somebody that was in partnership then into a dot-com business, which I went into, which promptly massively failed. Because I got not got caught in the dot com bubble, I was caught in the dot com bust, bust, oh. which was a real shame. But just from, missed it, <laughs> just missed it. But you learn so much from failures like that. And while it was tough at the time, then I always, always kind of liked working with people. And the job in a consultancy came up, not a strategic one, a more operational one, a job that I'd not seen before which kept me close to the ground, sort of, which is what I was happy with. And then with them for 17 years before setting up my own business now. So became a trainer, coach, consultant, those kind of things. I'm very happy with it still. <laughs> Absolutely. What made you like through all of that experience and varied experience that you've had, what made you say, hey, I want to be a coach. I want to focus on leadership. I want to focus on developing people. The human center, as we talked about before, has always been at the heart of what I do. So in every role that I had from, if you like, Frito-Lay onwards, was getting involved in the people side of the business. So getting involved as a trainer or as an informal coach, because I didn't have coaching qualifications back then. And so when I got the chance after this huge failure at the turn of the century to be a more operational consultant, which was all about training, coaching, consulting in terms of how to get things done rather than strategic consulting around what we need to do. So I was much happier with that. It helped me live that dream. So it was always about getting results through others, not being the one that would, if you like, carry the flag at the front and light the fire through me. It was more about lighting the fire in others so that they could go forward. So for me, it was always about how do I leave a legacy not for others, but how do I leave a legacy in the people that I'm working with so that they can really be motivated and remember back to that training course or that interaction with me that really helped them get to the next level, the next step, do something different. So for me, that's always been the pivotal moment. Fast forwarding into my own business. So I was actually in Singapore for seven years during that 17 year period with that company. But when I came back to the UK and set up my own business, it allowed me to then really narrow my focus in where I wanted to focus and support leaders and the transformational space in business, stay close to the future of work, of which doesn't seem to exist anymore because the future is now, yes. and then keep doing what I'm doing in supporting others in trying to implement the success that they want. Absolutely. I love how you worded that. That was beautifully stated. So question, you've worked in a lot of spaces, right? A lot of different cultures you've experienced through your work. Do you feel like that had provided you with any types of 
insights that you now apply to your coaching today? Yeah. And I'm still <laughs> learning now. As a leader, I'm hungry to learn because the speed of change is so great at the moment. If I'm going to be a credible leadership development expert or transformational leadership consultant, I've got to know what's going on and learn as fast as I'm trying to teach, if you like, in some ways, yes. because things are going well. So what helps me by doing that has been all the network contacts that I've developed over the world. So I've worked in most major markets in the world because of my previous job, as well as my job now. And I've loved working internationally and across cultures. So you learn so much from others. You learn how to adapt yourself and be flexible. So being super flexible for either culture, the company, the country, wherever you are, and how they get things done. A good example of that, which is benefiting me now, because I'm doing, again, since moving back here, I'm doing more work in the US and I'm doing more work in Europe. Being able to bring over Eastern management practices, because it's all of what you see out there is Western management practices, all the books and so on, is great. It brings in a new perspective and something different that can help differentiate me as a provider, if you like, or as an expert out there to those that I'm working with, but in a way that helps me build very rapid trust with them because I can be the flexible one and help them through tailoring my approach, simply put, so that they get the best out of whatever it is, whether it's a coaching session, a training session or more. So it's been invaluable for me. And at the heart of it is building an emotional and social intelligence that helps me read the room very quickly wherever I am and help me understand how I might tailor my approach and how I might modify my approach in certain ways, tone down some aspects of my excitement, for example, <laughs> and be a little bit more measured in others is kind of helpful in some cultures. So undoubtedly, that's been the big and continues to be the biggest learning for me, Jevon. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I always tell people, like, if they can just experience different cultures, travel, get out there, because the synapses that it helps you connect in your mind, it's crazy. Like you can't get those if you just stay within your culture and around the same people over and over again. You said it very, very well and how that can help you in a multitude of ways. So leadership, right? We hear this term often, but I'm wondering what your definition of a leader is, Jeremy. A leader. Well, if you'd have asked me this 10 years ago, I probably would have answered very differently. The duty of care of a leader now is to provide direction for the organization for sure. So that they must have their eyes to the sky. But the definition of a leader now for me is having your eyes to the sky, but your feet firmly on the ground so that you're close to the people, you're close to the implementation side of things. So the big new skill for leader, and when I say new skill, it's probably unfair on some leaders, but the new skill we need to develop at leadership now is shifting the question from what we need to focus on to how to get it done. So a great leader is fantastic at the what, at defining strategy, at understanding the unpredictable, uncertain nature of the world right now and the business world right now, but also understands and champions how to get things done and is there with their people doing it rather than sitting in an ivory tower. For me, that's a great leader today. Absolutely, man. I love it. I love it, man. You are on fire right now, Jeremy. 
Come on, bring me the next <laughs> Come question. Come on, keep going. Are you ready? <laughs> so you mentioned that the future is now, right? And that means that there's new technologies, new ways of doing specific things that's coming about. So how do you feel like leaders need to keep their head and eye to the sky while leveraging the new technologies that are out there to expand and expedite that success? That's a good question. I'm going to answer that in a different way because the first thing that leaders need to do, modern leaders need to do is leave their egos at the door, leave pride behind and be prepared to ask for help because the pace of change is so quick these days. And the pace of digital transformation is there is nobody that can keep up with that. So if you think about 20th century leaders, those leaders who are really brilliant in the 20th century are now transplanted into potentially leading their business in a completely new era, the digital era, industry 4.0, whatever you want to yeah. call it. So they have to understand rather than demonstrate that they may not be the smartest people in the room anymore, if they ever were. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. So with all well, of hopefully these things, not, that, you know, as a leader, hopefully yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, of course, you're the smartest person in this room. I know that. So we've got to admit this to ourselves that, you know, you've got to let others kind of come forward with this. <laughs> What? So when you're able to do that, you're able to say, well, the pace of digital transformation and how we use digital to create new solutions, to innovate every level, to explore the distributed cloud, all of these things, all of these terms, the new terms that are just new within the last sort of five years, you need other people with you. So in one way, you need to be a leader that helps to flatten the hierarchy of the organization so you can actually build the power of the many because you've probably got some gold and diamonds in your organization that are really good at this stuff. And you mentioned digital and that's what I mean. Generative AI is a perfect one. Some of the leaders that I work with are 20th century leaders where I'm trying to shift the mindset into being a more 21st century leader. They may go on to chat GPT for or Claude to and they may say, all oh, right, I want to write an email about this. Here's the bullet points that I want. And they may be blown away by that, but they're using 0.0001% of the power of a generative AI. And often when I get down to why that is, is that they're just not willing or able to go on a very steep learning curve. And for me, leaders in our organizations have the probably, or some leaders in our organizations probably have the steepest learning curve of many at the moment, because there's so much that possibly they don't know what they don't know, but they're starting to understand what they now don't know. So there's an awareness there, but equally an immobilization to move, say, because it's just so overwhelming. And the way I describe that is that one leader or one CEO is simply not enough these days because there's so much. And digital is a great example that you put on the table there. And I'll put another one on the table with digital. And I ask this question to the leaders that I work with. How do you intend to leverage blockchain and Web3? And one out of 10 leaders that I talk to give me a great answer. That's it, though. 90% <laughs> can't really give me a response other than sort of a blank look and a couple of sound bites that they may have heard. So this learning is key and it's key to innovation for the future. It's key to how we work, how we work differently, how we leverage hybrid, how we collaborate, communicate at all levels. Absolutely. And I mean, there's so many examples of leaders that do not adapt, 
right? What happens to those organizations, those companies? I mean, I'm from Rochester, New York, where Kodak is from. And I use this example all the time because it's so near and dear and it hurts so much, right? Kodak, you know, the leadership there, they didn't want to adapt to the digital age. You know, they didn't want to use digital film. They were like, hey, we're known for this film right here that you have to develop. We're not going to a digital camera, right? And then they got ate up by the market. Um, and then they had to file for bankruptcy. And now they're trying to reinvent themselves. So that's a great point, Jeremy. And it, I just want to provide that example, that case study, so people understand how important what you're saying really is, right? You can build a business over centuries. And then all it takes is for you to have a leader that is really not malleable, right, to what's going on for you to lose all that you built. So I'm glad that you brought that point up. Let me ask you a question. Sure. So do you know which company, though, was the first company to invent the digital camera? Kodak. It was Kodak. It was right. them. So exactly. And the guy from Rochester says, now, the great synergy here is that I used to work in Rochester so much because I did a lot of work <laughs> with Kodak. Nice. It's not why they went out of business, by the way, I hasten to add, <laughs> because I was working with them. Yeah. Um, he said backpedaling hugely. So I worked with them. And what you realized in Kodak, so they had lots of different areas. So they had the health imaging, they had consumer imaging, they had printing, they had lots of different things. And they were so passionate. They were so passionate about film and the motion picture, of course. There was no better motion picture than on Kodak film. And some would argue that's still the case. And some film is now is still shot on Kodak film, even though Kodak as a company doesn't necessarily exist as it certainly was. But what I realized was that there was such passion in that organization that they felt that this thing that they'd invented, it was a fad and a fashion. It wouldn't really catch mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. because nobody could beat the purity of film. So they were evangelists and they were evangelists that couldn't see the change coming. And that's what essentially destroyed them in the end, because then the competitors exactly. were looking at that, saying, this is the future, whether it's motion picture with Panavision, whether it was Sony or Fuji on the digital side, whether it was others. And it was so sad to see. I loved oh. going to Rochester and I always ended up going at the beginning of the year somehow and getting... Oh. Getting oh. stuck in the snow. I feel in bad for you, man. Car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is a nightmare for, for a British person. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm glad you had that synergy. I'm glad we could kind of expound on that a little bit more about how they did have a vision, but it just took somebody to say, that is not us. <laughs> it's not who we are as a company, you know? And then next thing you know, you're trying to recover. So let's get back to the, the leader, that the person, right? Well, actually, I want to shift to a manager because managers and leaders are two different skill sets, right? Two different traits and types of people. So what strategies do you encourage a manager to use to lead their teams effectively? That's another good question. And for me, actually, if I look at the whole ecosystem of management right now, first of all, and just say, right, that's leaders and managers, Lots of organizations are changing that. We've had the advent of hybrid work. New business models are being invented or being evolved from where they were now. And there is a need for greater autonomy across our organizations because you don't see the people there all the time. So this concept of distributed leadership, or as we used to call it, leadership at all levels, being more empowering, giving more autonomy through the organization not just to the people that we call talent with a capital T that we've earmarked for promotion, but talent with a small T because we know that there's gold in everybody there. Mm -hmm. So we want to bring that out. So from a leadership perspective, 
there is a duty to say, right, how do we structure ourselves so that we can unleash the power of the many, not just the few or the one? And therefore, how do we need to structure ourselves? How do we hierarchically look at these things? Because the old vertical hierarchies of doing things, that's a lot of red tape, bureaucracy. It may get in the way of working in more agile ways, being able to make decisions at all levels, but also it might hamstring traditional managers, to your point. So the rise of horizontal management is certainly something that we're seeing right now, which is a much more flatter structure. And it moves away in simple terms from performance management to performance support. So we use line managers and we use less line managers to do this. We don't load the organization with layers of line managers. We use line managers to help the implementation of our strategies, of course, but also it's injecting within them the growth mindset that says we have to get better at letting our people experiment, fail, grow. And we have to underpin that with a culture of coaching. Mm -hmm. So we talk about coaching all the time, but the art of coaching is just not common enough in organizations. So we need more of our managers to be coaches, to fuel that growth mindset, to fuel the more independent workers that they may work with and also to work in different ways. So they're not administrators or the solvers of problems. They are the facilitators of a group to do that. So you're starting to raise the bench of the organization in skills and behaviors and knowledge terms. So the management can really truly become those coaches that help get better results out of more people. That's how I would look at it, Jem. Yeah, and I wholeheartedly agree. And I think the fact that we keep going back to that human-centered approach it's a key point to bring out here because I often talk about a lot of that transaction versus that relationship, right? Transactional is, you know, we have these, these people, we know them in their billet and their job and their work. We know what they do day in and day out or what they're supposed to do, but we don't know who they are. We have no idea. We don't know if they have a family. We don't know what drives them, what motivates them, any of this stuff. So how can we expect them to be great? And I feel like this is our opportunity, you know, as leaders and managers to go ahead and say, okay, let me learn more about this person psychologically and in every other way. So I can make sure I'm giving them the proper resources. I can be the leader that they need. And then I can make sure they have that autonomy and feel like they're supported enough to one, want to stay here, right? And elevate us and themselves here. And then two, to make sure that they understand that the jobs to be done for them actually do play into a greater goal and a greater rationale. Because a lot of people, I mean, 86% of people just do not feel served in their current roles, right? As it stands. That's ridiculous, right? (laughs) You're right. Leadership today is definitely about service over self, Mm -hmm. selfless versus selfish, and having a greater purpose. So the best leaders today, in my mind, are also forces for the greater good. Mm -hmm. They understand the duty of care for society or the communities within which we work, but also being purpose-driven within the organization means that we're serving our customers and stakeholders in different ways. We're treating our employees differently. And that counts for a lot these days in terms of reputation management, employer branding, when there is such an issue around attracting, growing, and retaining talent around the world, not just, of course, in the U.S., So leaders who understand that, who are far more human-centered, far more empathetic to the needs of the external society as much as their internal community of employees, 
that more human leader are the leaders that are being more successful right now, not just successful from a people perspective, but actually they're able to engage, motivate and mobilize their organization better so that they're getting more help from more people to actually meet the targets that we need in the short term, but start to look into the future of how we protect the future too. Absolutely. And one of the things we haven't talked about that's really an undertone of what we're discussing is the more people, the more talent is diversity. And you have this thing called diversity talent. So can you tell us about how that came about and why it is it's important? Well, this is practicing what I preach about what I just said there. So I'm a leader who I believe I, I'm a force for good as well. So for example, in my organization, so when I set up my business, I said that any profit that I make, I'm going to give 12% of my profit to good causes, but in the communities where my customers are, so they can choose the cause and so on. And of course, that was a big kind of, if I make profit. <laughs> <That's Yeah. it. laughs> Fortunately, I did make profit and quite a nice profit too. So there's some really, that give back has been there ever since 2018 when I started my That's business. Awesome. The second thing that I do, and you reference my podcast, the Rethink Leadership Podcast, so I don't pay a fee for my guests, but what I say to them is, is that we both have a duty of care externally to our own egos, our own companies, whatever you want to call it. So I provide a donation to the charity of their choice. So we give a donation instead of a fee. And then we also make that episode in aid of that charity. So right now I've supported awesome. over 70 charities over the world. So that's me putting my money where my mouth is. But with diverse IT talent, that is something different. That is me now saying, as well as my day job and my business, there is something that I can do, which is much more purposeful and much more active around society. And it happens to, I mean, this is one of these things that usually happens. The reason why I've become the co-founder of Diverse IT Talent, it was actually one of my podcast guests. <laughs> who I got talking to, we found a lot of synergies. She happened to live very close to me. And she said, you'd be perfect to co-found this with me because we had the same passion for community. And so we did. So the purpose is to change misconceptions around what modern careers look like in business and in technology, because the misconceptions are there for if you go to school kids or youth groups, say, ah, well, I don't want to go into business. I'm just stuck behind a computer. It's all about coding or I need a STEM degree. I need et cetera, et cetera. All those are myths, Jevon. So for us, we want to inspire these, as we call them, untapped talent pools, which would be underrepresented cultures and communities, youth who have maybe fallen out of the education system for no fault of their own younger kids in the system in the UK, that would be primary kids. I don't know what you'd call that in the States, but that would be around 10, 11 year olds, getting them more excited now so that it can form choices, choices of either topics and subjects they're going to study or a new excitement around the possibilities of what modern business and technology careers can do. And we've set it up as a social enterprise. So in the UK, that's called a community impact company. So we are reliant on funding from business sponsors and community sponsors for that. And then we drive this whole process in two ways. We drive a competition called Diverse IT Talent Awards, which is we provide or we give a community or society issue to groups of 10 
kids or youths or communities. And those groups, by the way, must be diverse. And the biggest diversity lever that they must tick is that each group must be 50% male, female, because we know that if we pull that gender lever a little bit more, it opens much more wide and impacts the other diversity elements like neurodiversity, people of color, you know, all those kind of things. So they then have a, and we've run pilots already around this. So we launched this only three weeks ago, actually, having spent nine months defining it. Yeah. So we did a pilot in a couple of schools near where I live in Swindon in the UK. And we said, right, you've got to solve food poverty. (laughs) And that's uh, quite a big task for a school school to do. So what we then, we're not stepping back from the challenge, but what we are saying to them is we're going to treat you like business people. We're going to train you in new ways of working because tech and digital is about how we work, not just the tools that you use. So we use agile methodology and design thinking, which is a five-step process to help you move from this challenge to idea, if you like, through empathize, you redefine the problem when you can narrow it down, you ideate to generate some ideas for solutions, you prototype it to build your model, and then you test it back with the users that you were talking to first. So they refine that food poverty down in this example to food waste at school and absolutely came up with the most brilliant solutions underpinned by technology that they're implementing. And furthermore, because we provide them with the tools and platforms that they can do this, they can actually fundraise behind it and provide funds for their community, their youth groups, for their schools, which they're not getting from the government, let's say, for example. So that's the first way. And the second way, just to close this off for you, is then we outside of that for older youths, for adults that looking to reskill, aging population that aren't going to retire early. They need to keep going in their career, reskilling them in digital. We've got a whole workbook, if you like, of core skills, as we would call them, which help to reskill in the kind of things that we need in the modern workplace today. And that's not just the digital schools, but it is those really important human-centered skills to enable us to collaborate and communicate better but using technology to enable that. So that is diverse IT talent in not so much a nutshell, but a massive coconut. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. And I just, you know, wanted to make sure we brought that up because you're doing important work, man. And that is fantastic. And I was actually, that was one of the most things I was impressed with as we started doing our research on you. So I salute to you all, whatever we can do um, here at Design Life and Business and Bright Mind Consulting Group. Let us know how we can help diverse IT talent. You know, my background is IT, is tech. So <laughs> if there's a way I can contribute some of my skill set, let me know, cybersecurity specifically. And then also with the business side, you know, I did some work with organization here in Houston called G Unity Business Labs that's owned by 50 Cent. Uh, we actually went into the schools and we taught kids business and entrepreneurship, right? So we had them prototype it out, do a pitch competition at the end, and they won a, a scholarship. It was only supposed to be about 10 grand, but they ended up winning 100 grand for a scholarship for each student that won. So I love stuff like that, man. So just let us know how we can be of service. That is awesome. And we love that. So the intention is that we're rolling out in the UK right now, but we're going to go international and And in fact, I would give a shout out now to Baker Donaldson in the US and their very enlightened CEO, Tim Lupinacci. So it's one of the top 100 law firms, I think. 
Wow. Um, he was also a guest on, on my podcast, of course, um, and has a, has a better, of course. So has a similar, it's, you know, it's how I get all my contacts. So it, he is already got involved and will be involved when we get over to the US. We would love to be involved with you, Jevon, because you think of Rochester, you think of the great heyday of Rochester and the need now to kind of reskill, bring it up again and get something new going. And I know there's lots of things going on there, but it's also these underprivileged, underrepresented communities where our focus will be, not yes. just the students who have this almost through the virtue of their schools. So that will sign be great me when up. we get to stage, we'd love you involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sign me up, man, because, you know, I come from one of those underrepresented, underprivileged communities. So it's uh, near and dear to my heart. So definitely. But hey, man, that's one thing. But we're going to move to that podcast now. So rethink leadership. I know you mentioned that this was a COVID project, but it has since grown to establishing thousands of contacts, including the ones you're defining businesses with. So <laughs> tell us a little bit more about the podcast and what the premise behind it is. Oh, gosh, yeah. It was that. It was a lockdown project because <laughs> I'm always, as I said at the beginning, I always ask the question, what if, what next, what can I do? So during lockdown, I had two projects, write a book and start a podcast, and I did both. Nice. So it was like, great, okay. And they're both going all right still. So that's good news. <laughs> but little did I know how the podcast would capture the imagination. So, and it was called to start with, it's called Guest Practices. Then I called it Leadership Guest Practices. Then I evolved it into Rethink Leadership to bring it much closer to the branding of my organization and my own focus, because that's where it was. So that's what it is right now. It started just on YouTube. That's where I would get it. And then in probably about season three, I think, then I thought because it was getting more popular, I thought, right, I think this is a chance to get it out there more. What I've realized is that there are lots of podcasts out there by gurus and they're all very good, but it's always about that same topic and the same thing that they're known for and bringing guests to talk about that topic. There's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I'm more a how-to guy. I'm more about not this, what should we do? And blah, blah, blah. it's like, how do we navigate this incredibly complicated landscape that we have in business at the moment, whether you're a small, medium or large organization, whether you're an entrepreneur, a startup or a scale-up? And therefore, who can I get as guests who may not be as well-known as some of those gurus, but are absolutely doing it out there? And they're learning and they're not afraid to talk about their experimentations, their failures and what they've learned from it. And some of the key messages that they can help for others to fast track progress. And that's how we always end those is how do we get to action here and what's the advice? So many of my guests have made some great contacts through the network, the Rethink Leadership Network, but also from people who are tuning in. And then it was only last year, I think. So I got called by a guy in the US saying, we want to represent you. And I'm saying, what do you mean you want to represent me? Oh, we want to represent your podcast. By the way, congratulations for your podcast being one of the top 1.5% podcasts wow. in the world. Yeah, but I was the most surprised of all, Jeremy, because I had no idea because I wasn't, I didn't even know where to look for that kind of stuff. I knew that we'd got numbers up there, but there are so many, there's three point whatever million podcasts out there. So for me, that was right. I've got to keep this going. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm glad become, you are there. I'm glad you did keep it, it going. It's become man. very much part of the DNA now. But yeah, and it's proving that being a little bit more operational, a little bit more implementation focused, 
little bit more focus on the how-to is resonating out there and bringing in, you touched on it before, bringing in very much around diverse and inclusive voices to the table of this podcast as well, so that we hear from all sides and we hear about problems as well as solutions. We hear about what is really challenging as a business to make progress, also some of the shortcuts that we can take. So yeah, that's kind of where I am right now. So just about to finish season six and start season seven next year. Awesome. For the listeners to know, I saw you on LinkedIn. Now I just reached out and said, hey man, I got to have you on a podcast because what you're talking about is exactly what Design Life and Business is about. And that was my word. I knew exactly who you were because I did my research, did my homework, and I listened to a couple of your episodes. And that's really why we started Design Life and Business as well. Uh, we wanted to get that diverse thinking, those people who aren't as big to share their knowledge, share their story, and not just fill it with fluff, right? Fill it with some actionable insights to talk about those downfalls and those failures that really propel people, because that's the difference between those people you never heard of before and those people who do finally reach whatever their goal, their definition of success is, is that what did they do when failure did happen? Because it's going to happen, right? Well, how did they address adversity? And then how did they look for the way ahead, right? So we have some synergy. So I'm glad we're getting to have this conversation, man. We're going to get to closing, unfortunately. Really don't want to because this is a fantastic conversation, Jeremy. But we're going to go to our by design segment where I ask every guest the same three questions. Are you ready? Go on, man. All right, let's do it. So first question is, what has been the hardest part about designing a life and business you don't need a vacation from? The hardest part has been rationalizing down everything that I can do very well to a much more focused offering for my customers and also for me to throw in my passion behind because of a career of 20 odd years as a human capital and learning professional as well as a leader myself i can train sales i can coach leadership i can do presentation i can do all of these things and people ask me for it but it's not what i enjoy doing all of that anymore so the hardest thing was to whittle all those down and that's how I described what I did with the podcast, it gradually became the Rethink Leadership podcast. My business performance works gradually became all about rethinking leadership and focusing on that. And that is the bit now that is really re-energizing me as well as that other bit on the other side, which is being purpose-driven. So those two things multiply to give me a lot of satisfaction and love for what I do, but I do need vacations from it. And I will never say that I won't need vacations from it because you can very easily burn out and you can very easily take too much on. And I like to do things properly. So the other most important thing or most difficult thing is getting that balance right. So I'm looking after myself as well as looking after others. Absolutely. Number two is what has been the best lesson you've learned on your entrepreneurial journey? That you're not alone in failure. That's it. I'm Generation X, which gives away my age. And I started work in the 1990s, all the way last century. And Generation X were driven by being successful. And I personally had a personality where I needed to be valued by others. And I've got over that now, but that was quite a crutch for me really is that I always wanted to make others happy so I would work twice as hard I'd do all of these things 
And sometimes I'd fail in what I was doing because I was just trying to do too much or I was trying to make up for something that I thought wasn't real because I would build these things in my head. And I realized that I wasn't alone in that. There were a few people like that. And when I did then more embrace the fact I wasn't in fact perfect and that I could never be perfect, it was okay to fail as long as I was experimenting within a remit with the help of my line manager and with a clear intent going forward and not worrying about what people thought about me. So that was unleashing for me when that burden was raised from my shoulders. Love it. Number three is what are three tools or tips you would recommend when rethinking leadership? For modern day leaders, I'll go back to what I said before, leave your ego at the door. We're not the smartest people in the room anymore. You have some amazing people in your organization and we as leaders need to go on just as steep as learning curve as everybody else in the organization right now. We're in it together. We're not in an ivory tower. That's the first one. The second one is ask yourself, what is your legacy? What are you going to leave as your legacy for the business and for people within the organization? And not just leaving a legacy for, but what is the legacy you want to leave inside people that you touch, whether it is your employees, whether it's your stakeholders, whether it's your customers within an organization. That helps you become far more focused on society, community, on others, on being a force for the greater good, not just for a force for profit, if you like. And so therefore, the third, but should have been the first, I suppose, is reimagining or resetting our mindset of leaders and think about how am I going to build something solid that can get better with others, that we can evolve as they go, but it's part of the legacy that I'm leaving with and inside of people. So that shift in mindset that allows me to be, do, and work differently as much as my employees and be closer to the ground as much as closer to strategy. So that third one really is that mindset shift enables me to have my eyes to the sky, but also my feet firmly on the ground as a human, as well as a leader. Absolutely. Love it, man. This has been a fantastic discussion, as I knew it would be. And I'm glad you said yes to it. But how can the people connect with you, Jeremy? So LinkedIn is best. So just look for Jeremy Blaine under LinkedIn and you will find me there. And my website is performanceworks, all one word, dot global. And those two are the best, really. You'll see what I'm doing there. And the Rethink Leadership podcast is on all platforms. So look on your favorite platform or YouTube and you'll see the channel there too. Awesome. Yeah, make sure you all do that. That will all be in the show notes. So appreciate you once again, man. And to the listeners, remember to keep ascending. See you soon. Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders, is brought to you by Bright Mind Consulting Group. To find out more about Bright Mind Consulting Group and how you can become the best leader possible, visit brightmindconsultinggroup.com. Make sure you search for Design Your Life and Business on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Bright Mind Consulting Group, we cannot thank you enough for listening.